Today we have our first guest with us, Tom Ivers, PhD. He has been analyzing data to make predictions for 30 plus years. Among his wide range of work, he has a particular passion for automating the flow of analysis of data and data visualization. In his own words, quote unquote, it's not always about pre making predictions. It's also about giving actionable insights to the organizations that I serve. In August 2018, he founded an online community called the Integrated Machine Learning and AI, where he provides services and instructions in data science. He currently works as a senior data scientist as Echo Global at Echo Global Logistics. He is also a social media influencer with 60,000 followers, where he shares his insights and expertise with a wider audience. He loves data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and multi-physics engineering and can do a wide range of predictive analytics as well. So a good, very good warm welcome, uh, Tom, for the, the first session that I'm hosting. I'm honored to be your first guest. I'm sure your show will be great, Nima. So thanks, thanks a lot, Tom, for accepting my invite. Uh, let's get started. Uh, so first question is basically this is going to be the uh, the data science your data science journey so how did you first become interested in data science as a career well it was more uh, that I became interested in engineering um, there was no such thing as data science when I was thinking about what to do in college and I was very fortunate even though I grew up in Dallas Texas a huge city in Texas even in the years that I was growing up there, I was super fortunate that right across the street from my house, there was a hundred plus acre field that went undeveloped for years. And I built all sorts of crazy things and tested them out there with my friends. And that was a great experience. My dad was an expert machinist and he had a few tools and he never prevented me from going out to the garage and using his tools to build things and I just had an inclination to build things but also I didn't realize that this was unique but even from the age of three I was envisioning things I wanted to build in my mind in 3D and it, it really wasn't until my mid-30s that I realized not everybody could do that but so I had this special inclination to just want to build things but when I was in undergrad even, it occurred to me that understanding how to simulate a physical system mm -hmm. using physics and differential equations was really important to the prototype process. So I fell in love with coding and with uh, differential equations, predictive modeling in the multi-physics realm, but as uh, those that are skilled in those arts also know, we're constantly creating synthetic data that way. So it, it's very much about the data. And you can't model everything. So we would take measurements and we would create empirical models, which uh, it, it's funny. When someone says to an engineer that knows how to do predictive modeling of physical systems and, and use both the physics and the empirical modeling, it's funny if they say to that engineer, well, what made you switch to data science? No, no, data, uh, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, multi-physics engineers, they do a lot of predictive modeling. They even do empirical modeling. We just have a different set of terminology. So sometimes 
it could seem like you're learning something completely new, whereas really, you're just learning new terminology a lot. And there, there definitely are some techniques we use in the multi-physics realm that are different from what we use in the data realms, but someone skilled in either one of those realms can move over to the other realm without too much difficulty. I would say it's actually easier for the engineers to move over to the data realm because if the data people have to move over to the multi-physics realm, now they have to master the physics too, and that can be challenging. But it, it basically, even as a freshman in, in engineering studies, I was using data science type tools in my studies. Oh, okay. That was an interesting story, Tom. So, uh, what was the data science landscape like when you started in the field? Like, uh, whether uh, now that we have a lot of many uh, free resources, how did you even uh, had the opportunity to like start working, or did you have your peers or colleagues or anybody like mentors or anyone? So, at a certain point you become a really good self-learner. So I had uh, excellent education under good professors for my undergrad, masters, and PhD. And it was in graduate school where I would say we were beginning to see what we might call classical data science, but it still wasn't called data science yet. I was learning expert systems, fuzzy logic, neural networks, we already knew linear regression. We knew how to use polynomials to fit curves or come up with even very strange uh, models with our own engineered features, trying to use system parameters when we did that as much as possible. So it, it, Nima, to answer your question in a nutshell, mm -hmm. I was around during the transition, I'd say, or the, the emergence of data science. So in the mid-90s, that's when I was doing some pretty deep experiments with neural networks. <clears throat> oh, okay, and okay. also, we, I started with Fortran. The only formal college course I ever took in coding was with Fortran for scientific and mathematical computing. But then I learned C on my own, basic, C++. Then when Python, uh, when I was introduced to Python, I learned that. Even before Python, I learned awk, which is uh, a really nice scripting language based off C. Um, <clears throat> and then over time, I started really thinking I should know HTML, CSS, JavaScript, some of the uh, Node.js. I did some Ethereum programming in, um, Oh shoot, I forget the name of the language that Ethereum started with. So I've done a lot of different coding languages. After a while you realize, oh, I have to learn new syntax and now follow the same good coding practices. Oh, a nice, nice term. So, so uh, what has been the most rewarding project or experience you've had in your, uh, uh, as a data scientist? Oh, wow. Uh, there probably too many to name, but uh, one that comes to mind was it, it was related to vision, but in the testing of um, microchips. And these were chips, these were dyes still on chip in a testing program that take images. And um, we were trying to find these very difficult to find defects 
And the tests that we had been using to identify those defects would take at least two man weeks per product, and oftentimes longer. And I, I started to say, hey, this is crazy. We need to find a way to automate this. And I took uh, statistical methods and uh, basic um, multivariate high order uh, linear regression and found a way to statistically find the defects. In other words, it, it kind of went backwards, Nima. It would start with the model and then look at the parts in the image that were outside a certain boundary. So we'd start with the model using the data, but then remove some of the data until the deviations were gone. And then those data points we removed were potential defects. And then there was a post-processing to see how close they were together. So in many ways, it was going backwards in machine learning, but starting from machine learning to identify the things you were trying to find. So, I, and I, I preach this a lot. I hope you've heard it too in my posts. Focus on concepts, because when you hit the really tricky real world problems, and even though I've not done anything super fancy in my actual professional work, by knowing those concepts very deeply, you can figure out some really good solutions to some tricky problems. Yes, yes, Tom, yes, uh, that's, that's actually true because um, I've seen so many people who have asked me how to get into data science. They, they, they're kind of like trying to get the projects done and start searching for a job. But always what I try to say is that to start having the basics right. So like what you said, that's what even uh, helped me a lot too. Uh, while I was, I'm working in an organization, so. Uh, I'm not surprised to hear that, Nima. The, that <laughs> conceptual knowledge is so important. Yes, yes. So, uh, back in the days, what were the challenges, uh, Tom, in your, uh, like it was, I don't know how it was earlier, so I just wanted to know what were the challenges when you faced, uh, when you started uh, essentially data science? So, I'd say, um, related to the kind of data science you're talking about, it, it's always been computing speed. That's been one of the things. Now, it's gotten easier over time, but I remember when I was trying to finish up my PhD and I really needed a lot of computing speed, and it was in the summer, I called up the administrator of our mainframe computer on the campus that I was using and said, can you give my jobs more priority? Because I know it's the summer. I know I'm getting slowed down because of policies, but I, I just really need this speed. And after begging and explaining quite a bit, they, they gave me these really high priority rights on these super powerful mainframe computers. And that, that was back before the Pentium days even. I mean, we didn't even have Pentium computers at that point. So that, that was certainly helpful. But then even when Pentiums came out, um, there was a time I built a poor man's supercomputer out of multiple Pentium computers at a remote site when I was working for a pretty big US corporation. And I would divide my problem up into as many parts as I could get Pentium computers and do pieces of the problem 
bring the answers back together, use those separate answers to figure out where I needed to change the parameters, and then go do some more searching, trying to optimize parameters. And that was, that was very challenging and fun too. But a lot of times, the, on the flip side, and you see, this is what really, in my opinion, is driving data science and machine learning, artificial intelligence, reinforced learning. The real driver of these things is the human ingenuity of how to use the math smarter and smarter. And I really respect the people that push the boundaries by finding smarter ways to do the math. For example, if you break down transformers and you look at what they've done, it, it's like Dennis Rothman explains. It's like a lot of little smart Lego pieces. Even from the tokenization, the way they, the smart way in which the words are tokenized, the smart way in which they add positional encoding. And that's done at time of training too. And then the way they incorporate many layers and levels of graph neural networks and pull them together. It's, it's very clear that, to me at least, Transformers took inspiration conceptually from what Jan LeCun did with uh, convolutional neural networks. It's, it's quite obvious when you dig into it, ah, they took a lot of inspiration from here and here and here. Uh, but the, I think the thing that impressed me the most was the attention mechanisms and then the myriad of researchers that are trying to find faster ways to train transformers and make smaller transformers really practical and able to do the job just as well as a GPT-X type transformer. <laughs> uh, Tom, um, moving on to the next topic, I, I wanted to address the very important topic that is recession. So uh, you might be aware, right? So you have seen, you've been seeing the post, I've been seeing several posts that people are getting laid off. And uh, it's kind of scary that if they, uh, the aspirants like data science who are uh, willing to move into data science, they are kind of scared to see if they have to wait it out, whether this is the industry that they want. So I wanted to like ask you questions to see, to get your expert um, like advice to myself as well as others. So uh, starting with yeah. that, uh, how um, how can I differentiate myself from other uh, candidates in the data science field uh, as in a job, ma job market during a recession? So this is a great question and I addressed this about a couple of years ago now with a couple of friends. I try to keep a pulse on the data science community from reading LinkedIn posts. and. <clears throat> Back then, Nima, it was a similar problem. New people who, were, who had gotten their degrees in some data science specialization were struggling to get their first role in data science. And I encouraged people to stop worrying about getting their first role after that degree as a data scientist. Just get as close to data science as you can in a first role, but always be using data science principles to do your job better. And one of the people that I mentored heavily during that time um, felt a little bad because she had to take a data engineering job. And I said, why are you feeling bad? Well, because of, uh, I said, no, no, listen, 
you're going to be a much better data scientist by having been a data engineer for a while. So I would tell people, don't get fixated on data science role titles. You might even grow better by taking an, a job for a while at a company you'd really like to work at as a role close to data science, but not directly related to it. And then over time, you could transition back to data science as that need arises. Now, I'm a little fortunate right now. I've been laid off before, just so everyone knows. But right now, I'm in an industry that's not as affected as my friends who have been laid off. They're, they're in a different industry. And uh, that didn't happen on purpose. I just was very interested in the role that I was currently in and accepted it. But it's very insulated from the kind of things that are causing the downturn and, and the layoff of our friends right now. But I would encourage all of our friends that are laid off, don't take it personally. It happens to a lot of people. And uh, just hang in there. But again, we still have to, we have to uh, pay rent and eat. So get a good, you know, the best job you can, but don't be too fixated on it having to be data science. I hope that helps. Yes, 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 Tom. Uh, um, I must say I was also one of those person who's like too, many, too much fixated on data scientist, being a data scientist rather than if your job is really data science or not. So uh, that really helps. I think the starters, whoever comes, they, they are like, uh, they fancy the title most. So. <clears throat> By the way, I have this uh, group of very skilled, experienced friends on LinkedIn, and um, some of them have actually converted to data engineering or doing very well in that, but they end up using their data science skills to help them do better in data engineering also. It's quite impressive. So. Um, what are some strategies for networking and finding job opportunities uh, in data science market uh, during recession? The one that's worked well for me is, and I've encouraged the people that want me to mentor them to do the same, just find mediums that you like to write for, and I don't mean just medium, I mean uh, <laughs> social media, platforms that you like to write for. Right now, um, I write mostly for LinkedIn and for uh, Substack. But I'm uh, also beginning to share my sub Substack articles through my uh, Facebook page and through Twitter. And But if you have this spirit of, I'm enjoying what I'm learning, and I think this particular part of what I've learned would help others, and so I want to share it, well, that builds a network, uh, what I've found. People reach out to me uh, in my posts or in direct messages and want to talk more. And a lot of times that has become a deep professional relationship where we take the time to help each other with a sticky problem. And now I have a, an inroad to potentially a job or them with me. Uh, recently, I took a liking to someone I saw on LinkedIn, was getting to know. I knew she was looking for a role and I got her name in front of one of the managers at my company for a job that wasn't specifically data science but was working closely with the data science team to help release models and 
kind of like a DevOps or MLOps role. I think just letting your friends on people like your network on LinkedIn, I personally think it's better to do it privately, but just send messages saying, hey, I wanted to let you know I was laid off, I'm looking for a role. Just keep me in mind if you see something pop up at your company. And most people are, yeah, I definitely will keep you in mind. It's not a professional thing. Uh, I just want you to want myself to know, like, what would you advise people who have been laid out? And um, how do you think, like, I mean, obviously, they'll be negative or somebody who's been laid out, they'll feel negative or uh, it would hit their self-esteem. So how do you advise them to, like, go forward with the job search? Because job search is not easy during that time. When, when it's happened to me, I try to take a spirit of, wow, this is, I, I treat it as fun employment. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not offending anyone by calling it that, but, um, you know, first of all, always be saving because, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, when you get laid off, it, it could take quite a long period of time to get your next role. So you should always be saving like you might be laid off in a year or two. Um, but then during that time, be studying a lot. Think about, well, what kind of roles do I want? What kind of roles are out there? And how can I gird up my knowledge? Um, I don't think technical interviews are always very fair or very fun. I, I talk to some very smart friends and say, do you ever bomb technical interviews? All the time. You know, so nobody's immune to that. But if we have a relaxed attitude and practice up for that, go practice some things or relearn some things that are a little cold in our mind, uh, that can help. Then I literally just look for roles that I'm most interested in on LinkedIn, Indeed, and Glassdoor. And I'm pretty picky. I first decide what kind of role I want, and I start aiming for those. And if I don't feel like I'm getting enough interview invitations, I'll adapt my criteria enough until I'm getting uh, uh, plenty of interviews, and then I'm picky in the interviews, too. I would say, um, and, and I hate to, I just think it's important to address this. I don't know what it is about our peers that when they're in an interview situation, but some of them can become quite rude and condescending. I would just encourage people, don't ever take that personally. That's not you. That's just that person interviewing. Um, I don't know what it is that flips their switch to want to treat another human that way, but uh, don't take it personally. Right. So a follow-up question, Tom. So you said you uh, try to um, tweak the position. I mean, if you are not getting certain interviews coming up in your uh, job search, so do you uh, advise? Like, do do we have to uh, tweak our resumes uh, as per the job description, or is that so? There, there's two camps on this. Um, one camp is you need to tailor your resume for every application, and when I was when I heard that I said no I am I am this person this is these are my skill sets this is who I am this is my experience I'm not tailoring my resume I will tailor where I send it and that has worked really well for me personally um, I prefer to take that approach but what I meant as far as tailoring um, I have uh, 
I'm, I'm avoiding naming him, but a lot of people would know him, but he's a very good friend, and I consider him one of my mentors. I think he probably considers me one of his too, but so we co-mentor. But he said, Tom, I think you're aiming too low. And so I started applying for certain positions, but I would get very few bites, and even then, if I got the interview, I wasn't getting offers, and, and a lot of people were saying, they, they, they really were looking for someone with more experience this way than I had. And so I just changed the segment of job levels that I was looking for so that I would get more bites. Okay. So, uh, Tom, um, another uh, question is like, you have been, I've seen uh, in your uh, mentoring sessions with, with that we <coughs> all uh, meet right on every Saturday, so you have been meeting or meeting with several young uh, novice data scientists, and what do you think that uh, they o the some of the things that they overlook a lot when they, uh, if even if they are so job searching or even if they are already in a job and doing their work. So what I find is a lot of people are looking for some magic potion, magic pill, and and I first dismissed that. I said, well, look, there's no perfect approach to your learning or to your job searching or anything. But these are things we know help. And so the first thing I get them started on is being the master of their own learning plan. And this is very important. Now, someone may say, well, I don't need that. I'm going through a master's of data science program. And I would say, you're wrong. You need it just as much as someone that's not going through a program like that. Oh, why? because there's holes in every educational program and the kind of things you learn in grad school although they're great they're not real world projects most of the time so you need to have a spirit of filling in finding the holes and filling them in now the other thing when your first learning plan is not going to be very good it's just guaranteed it won't be very good so you need to have a spirit of as you learn refine the plan and the other big thing I emphasize is just because you know how to use a module in R or Python doesn't make you an expert in that algorithm usage in the real world. So can you, can you use the module? Can you code that from scratch? Can you create your own module, etc.? cetera? And, and so what type of depth of learning? Have you applied it to an ongoing Kaggle project? Have you applied it uh, to a real-world project? Have now, let's get really specific. Have you modified it significantly to achieve something else? Now you could take that for all sorts of topics and ask, how deep have I learned this topic? Now no one person's gonna be able to take all possible data science topics and go that deep for everything. But just by keeping track of it and keeping really good notes of everything you've learned, and you can turn those notes into LinkedIn posts and social media uh, articles, and all of that helps grow not just your skill level at knowing how to do those things, but your ability to communicate them clearly to others. And now you have an online presence that people can see, wow, this person really knows this stuff. 
and and also it makes you look like a community leader because you're caring about the community enough to share what you're learning. Great. I think that is the most ambitious plan, but I don't know if uh, even I, I could start doing that. So. Oh, it, 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 you have to treat it this way. It takes patience and consistency. And this was another uh, article I wrote to help people and I always share it with new people that come to me for mentoring. Look, all of this is going to happen over many, many cycles. And you have to have a spirit of, I'm learning, I'm practicing what I've learned, I'm evaluating my practice through review, now I'm going to rest, now I better get back to work, or I'll die. So it's a spirit of continuing to be patient and consistent in your ongoing learning. But it happens, if you're not paying attention to your overall health, and I mean um, mentally, physically, spiritually, socially, if you're not paying attention to those areas, you're gonna be held back in some way eventually. So it's extremely important just because your learning plan is really good and and you're growing it and you've got a good social media presence and people love your GitHub repos or your DAGSHUB repos, well, so what? If you don't have good soft skills, how far are you going to go? So you have to be developing those too. Right, right. That is uh, something which is really important, Tom. And I realized it only when I uh, got into a job and and people started talking about it. So that's when, okay, you, you are not just doing things, you're even conveying things to the people uh, outside. Uh, Tom, um, uh, how do you, ad what do you advise to people to um, progress in their career? Now that we spoke to people, I mean, about people who wanted to uh, get into data science, but what if uh, a, a person who's into data science, but they want to advance it uh, further, what are your uh, advice would be? Pretty much what we've been saying keep adding to that learning plan, figure out what, what am I currently good at? Where am I being held back the most currently in my skill set? And then focus on that area of your skill set. About mentorship, Tom, so um, how important is having a mentor? Because um, how important it is to, how, I mean, important in the sense, is it good when you have your mentors early in your career or is it like you just figure it out and then have it? I found that um, mentors come and go based on where you're living, what you're doing. Mm. But just because, uh, now this is, this is very interesting. One of my graduate school professors <clears throat> reached out to me a few months ago for help. Oh. <laughs> he, he said, Tom, you're a multi-physics guy. I'm not, I, I want, I, I'm thinking about doing this give me some advice and that was very humbling for me because this guy was like my big brother and he's coming to me for help now and but I think what I'm trying to point out by that little story it's about maintaining a community and treating these relationships as being important now <clears throat> a lot of people miss this and this is very important When you take the time to help someone else as you're able, obviously you can't do it all the time, 
either because of lack of knowledge or lack of time. But when you take the time to do the best job you can and keep finding better ways to help people, so you help people, but you keep finding better ways to help more people, it helps you more than them. And so I've helped so many people now that when I ask for help, they literally will say, when can we schedule a call? I'll walk you through that. And um, one of them, uh, he, was, he was really strong in a current uh, uh, important field. And um, before I could, I just had written a post that I was learning this and I was struggling with it, but it was important for these reasons. He direct messaged me on LinkedIn and said, Tom, would you like me to give you a walkthrough on that platform? I said, yeah, but wow, do you, can you afford the time? He said, Tom, you share so much stuff for free with everyone. How could I not offer this to you? And, but Nima, what's really crazy, when I write those posts on LinkedIn, I think they help me more than everyone else reading them. And it's that spirit. The more you help people, the more you get back, really. You build a community that way. And so it's not about a mentor. It's about a bunch of mentors. Okay, so always when we talk about mentor, we talk about one specific person, right? But this is uh, great to know. Yeah, don't don't have one mentor. Have an army of mentors that are your friends. One other point to add, Nima, real quick. Forgive me. Sometimes the best person to learn something from is someone that just learned it. Because they can be more sensitive to what you're going through currently. Whereas if someone comes to me and says, hey, how do I simulate a set of differential equations without any packages? I might blow them away as I'm teaching them. Whereas someone that just learned to do it might be more sensitive to, I really struggled at this point. And so, you know, be careful to not do this and to pay attention to this. I might forget to say something like that to them. So don't think that you have to go get a big name to be your mentor. Maybe you just need a tutor in this area. And this comes back to that learning plan. If you're getting better and better at refining and being the master of your own learning plan, you know what level of help you really most need. But that takes wisdom and pain and time to learn too. Uh, how do you, uh, how should one go about finding a mentor in the data science field? Um, it's interesting. I'll have people that just direct message me on LinkedIn just to say, hey Tom, just want to say hi, how you doing? And, oh great, great, what's up, what's, what's the latest with you? And um, over time, uh, those people that do that the most, um, I said, hey, that's really great to hear that you just got that new role and you're doing this in your job. I'd love to hear an update, you know, as you get further down the road. I just try to tell people you're important. Well, really, I'm not an R person. I mean, I can use R if I absolutely have to, but I have a friend that would probably drop everything to help me with an R problem just because we're friends. And um, one of the things I've done is I've created big chat groups on LinkedIn. 
to, hey, um, I'm, I just I want to create this little community on LinkedIn and we can help each other when we need to. Well, we're constantly sharing personal struggles in our career, work life, and, and uh, things about role changes and job changes. And we, none of us feel very alone because we're helping each other. But you don't have to be part of our group to have a powerful group. Just start collecting people you really like and sharing things and giving each other uh, support on your LinkedIn post, etc. So I had this question, but I think uh, it's it's going to be again a repetitive. So uh, if you, um, how how should a mentee like effectively communicate their goals? Like now that you're saying that it's a group of people and you sharing, uh, you share together whatever you've learned. So I think that answers a lot with how you can um, say what your goal is all about. So. Yeah, your, your goals can be pretty personal. I think just... Uh, really learning to write them out in a clear way. Um, th this will answer this question, but some other questions too. I was starting to get a lot of people asking me questions about projects they were doing for school or work. But they would just say, how do I do this in one sentence? And I would try to very politely say, how could you possibly think any person on the planet would have the context from this one little question to answer your question. You think this is just some standard thing that people can roll up? And I was saying all this very nicely. I said, look, you need to learn to write a really good problem statement. And then if you want someone's help, share that problem statement with them. And this is a document that clearly explains what you've got to do, what you already know how to do, what's not known how to do, now start proposing some things you're going to research. We have to do this even when we're proposing our research for master's level or PhD level research. So you can't just come to someone and expect that they know the context of what you're asking about and think you're going to get help. And, and so over time, I was getting so many of these, I had this uh, uh, message that said the same thing over and over every time I got this question, would say it very nicely. Finally, I wrote a LinkedIn article on it, or a post, to say, if you want help, you need to make sure you've written out a really good problem statement first. And then um, th there were a lot of other things to it. But with regard to your goals, you're, you're forming, you're saying, I'm here, and I want to be here. And, and for those that aren't watching, I've got one hand low and one hand high. And it's to say, look, that's a problem statement. I've got to go from this lower point A to this higher point B. Well, how am I going to get there? I don't completely know. But here's my proposal of how I'm going to start the journey. And now you can use that to get more help. Well, a lot of times when you get good at writing very good problem statements, it helps you to begin to answer your own questions at least what do I need to go research to do more I have this uh, very big question that I always uh, have in my mind when talking to you is that you said sharing is caring right so uh, when did you realize that because um I was fortunate by the way when I was born my name was not Thomas Wayne Ives 
It was Thomas Lane Siebenthal. And so this guy named Bill Siebenthal was my dad. But he was being trained to sell John Hancock insurance products by a, by a guy named Philip L. Ives. And Bill Siebenthal had some character issues. And he divorced my mom when I was about three. And Phil Ives became very upset with Bill Siebenthal for the way he treated my mom, the way he treated me. He started dating my mom. He married my mom right before I was five. When I was nine, he adopted me so that I could have his last name. And I would say, yes, my mom was great. And I learned a lot of this sharing is caring from her too. But just watching the way my parents interacted with the world and their community, it just got stuck in me. And over time, I realized I had this desire to just help people when they needed help. But I, I noticed, too, that when I would help someone, especially with an intellectual or uh, philosophical issue, it helped me, too. And it just stuck with me. And over times, over the, over the years, I've learned better ways to communicate. I like to do this. I hope you'll do it with me. It's a much nicer world to live in when we have a community that shares because they care with each other. Back to a technical question is that, uh, what do you think is the difference between a startup and a big tech? Because uh, I've seen people are attracted towards the, the FANG company. Uh, for a starter, like whoever is like jumping in into data science industry, what is your uh, uh, call is like, should, should that particular person uh, strive for going to a big giant companies or a startup? One mistake I feel like I made was I stayed at one company far too long. I should have moved around more. I should have, um, had a spirit of it's okay to take a little bit of a pay cut so I can go work at a different company, do a different role. Um, even though I got to do different roles at this company that I was at too long, I got complacent. It hurt me. Um, I developed some bad character habits that I had to own and grow out of. Um, I'm not saying that I, I wouldn't have done the same thing had I not stayed at that company. I'm just saying, um, you know, I've learned a lot of things the hard way. Even at, if you're at one big company and you're doing, you're having a long, good career there, I think it's important to always be changing, always be challenging yourself to stay in one role doing the same thing for a long period of time. If someone really likes to do that, I'm not criticizing that. But for me, I think it's about moving around. And so, you know, someone that's accomplished a lot at a fang company, maybe they should do their own startup for if they want to continue to challenge themselves. Um, what I've learned is uh, some people that get into the fang companies, they're making a great salary, they get complacent. They stop really caring. They, they can do their current role okay, but they're not really growing. So. Yeah. I'm not sure that's true of all people that stay in the same role at a fang company. I'm just saying I've heard that. So I would say always be looking out at the horizon. Should I stay here or go? But 
Don't let fear be your guide. Uh, I, I guess that is all. Uh, so the final question is that um, how important it is for data science to like um, continuously educate themselves? Um, I obviously think it's very important. Do I always do it as well as I preach? No. <laughs> um, do I always feel happier when I am trying to do it better and better? Yes. Um, I'm constantly trying to look back at myself and say, well, I'm certainly not who I want to be yet. I certainly don't think I have the complete skill set that I want, or I'm not the, the final person I want to be, and I probably uh, will die feeling that way, and that's okay. But if I'm continuing to find ways to do each little thing I do better, that's what makes me feel like I'm growing. That's a good state to be in, to say, ah, I could do this a little better this way. I could do this a little better this way. If I go learn this new thing, that would remove this frustration from my life. All right, Tom. So that is all uh, for the, uh, the, the interview that I thought I'll, I'll ask you some certain questions. So it was great talking to you. It was a wonderful uh, chat here. And um, and thanks a lot for sharing, uh, sparing a little bit of your, I mean, big time from your uh, weekend slot. So. Well, Nima, thank you for having me as your first mm -hmm. guest. I, I treat that as a great honor. And I pray that your show does marvelous things to contribute to the community. Thank you. Yes, yes, Tom. Thanks a lot. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Uh, for those listening, Neem and I are buddies, so we will continue to talk. But I hope what I shared today helped you guys. Everybody of here, whoever are viewing this channel, please do follow Tom. And I'm, I'm sure I'm learning a lot, and you <clears throat> will all, all, also learn a lot from Tom as well. So thanks a lot, guys. Everyone, uh, have a great day. Have a happy week.